Welcome to season four, Fostering Change, the number one podcast in adoption and foster care. You know, each week we speak to the most amazing good humans about topics that touch each and every one of us. If you have a guest suggestion or interest in sponsoring our podcast, please visit us at fosteringchange at comfortcases.org. Now, sit back, enjoy, learn, get motivated, and let's speak to some fascinating guests. You know, it's hard to believe that we are actually in another episode of Fostering Change. You know, we've talked about this so many weeks, week after week, how many amazing people that have been able to have conversations with. And, you know, I truly believe that that's what podcasts should be about, about conversations. But I think it's also an opportunity for all the listeners and the viewers to truly see exactly who is out there, who is really moving the needle. You know, I say that quite often. You know, I was talking to a group of kids yesterday. And I told them that, you know, their teacher had taught them that the earth is moving because of an axle. But I told them that the truth is that the earth is actually moving because the doers are pushing it and they're pushing it. And that's exactly what my next guest is. They are actually doers. You know, I have been so lucky with Comfort Cases and to have such amazing partners to truly, you know, lift as many children up in foster care as we can. You know, I say this quite often. Children enter the system because of choices other people made. It's up to us to make sure that we, we as a community, do better. You know, my next guest, you know, Bavini is the director of foster care for AmeriGroup in Georgia. Bavini, welcome to Fostering Change. Thank you so much, Rob. So happy to be here. I am happy that you're here. Listen, you know, number one, I love the fact because you're my friend. I consider you my friend. <laughs> and I love the fact that we've been able to partner up and do so much together. But you know what? I really want to jump right into the effect of something that people just seem not to be talking about. And that is the effect that COVID has done on our child welfare system. You know, I've had guests on here who have made these claims that, you know, numbers have never been lower, that, you you know, COVID was just a, a little speed bump. And I've gotten a lot of, you know, I'm not going to say nice mail, because I don't agree with that. I agree that COVID was the pandemic as we have in our child welfare system. That's a pandemic to, as well. And I believe yes. that it truly pushed us back to even further. What's your opinion on that? You know, I think to piggyback on what you said, I think that it lifted many, many layers of the onion that a lot of people have been trying to hide because it's uncomfortable for a lot of people to talk about. I remember in the very beginning, and I live in a pretty well-to-do county, and one of the first conversations when the pandemic first hit and kids were homeschooling was the number of kids that depend on school meals and how people in my community were shocked by that, right? And so I think if we really go back and talk about what's real and, and with prevention of, of child welfare, we're talking about poverty. There was already a level of poverty that existed and the pandemic created a whole new layer of poverty. And so I think a lot, exactly what you said, a lot of these kids have come into care because of things going on with their family but that being said, I think we have a wonderful opportunity to address those things and try to prevent kids coming into care unnecessarily and really get these families 
to a healthy place, healthy financially, healthy, as well as with their resources and well-being, right? So, yes. No, I totally agree with you. And, you know, that's the one thing I love about Amerigroup, you know, because you guys have the same philosophy that I have, is that we should be actually working on how to keep the families together. You know, when you see the statistics for 64% of kids who actually enter foster care in our country enter because of the word neglect, we both know that word is truly poverty. It's poverty. And, you know, for me, it's, you know, I'm like you, I live in a well-to-do county, you know, I, seeing that my kids, and again, you know, I say it all the time, I'm humbled that I was, I was blessed enough to be able to live where I live, and my children go to the schools they go to, and they happen to go to a school where I think maybe there might be 1%, you know, free lunches. I mean, it's like that kind of a school. So when, when all of a sudden, my family at there, and, and my island in my kitchen are making 400 sandwiches during COVID because let me tell you something as a kid who who has food insecurities you know I was that guy yes adopting a kid from the system who has food insecurity was that person having a son from the inner city um who came to us at a later age with food with we need to know we can do better as a community and for me that that was my big thing during COVID was the whole food, the issue of food and how, how many people, you know, really rely on those food pantries. And, you yes, know, you know, very for, much so. for Amerigroup, you know, as you, as you're seeing those, the onion peel back, what is it making you as a company do? Because by the way, I say this quite often, you know, corporations have a corporate responsibility to support their communities. They truly yes. do. And I see what you guys do. I see what you do with comfort cases and with so many other organizations. I'm just shocked. I actually follow, you know, I follow you all through LinkedIn and through all the social media channels. But during, let's just look at COVID. What did you guys do as a group to to make sure things were were helping and we were just at a stagnant steel? So a couple of things off the top of my head, I can tell you is we gave out a large number of Chromebooks to kids in care because now everybody's homeschooling and digital learning, but foster parents don't necessarily have an extra laptop to share because they were all also working from home, right? So we were able to give out a lot of Chromebooks. We really upped our food pantry delivery. We did a lot of drive-by type events so that nobody had to engage with anybody firsthand, you know, open your trunk, we'll load it in kind of things. We did that with our baby showers as well, because there's still moms having babies that need diapers and things for their newborn. So that's been really great. We were able to really shift all of our community events to a drive-by type opportunity and didn't really skip a beat. Um, One of the things in particular that I really has been kind of a silver lining of the pandemic, if there is one is the shift of of our work with our provider professionals from face-to-face to to virtual or telehealth, right? I think a lot of people were kind of scared about dipping into that and then we had no choice. So digital work has been blowing up, but meaningful digital engagement with a member, I think has really been important for me. So we've been working with two vendors in particular, one, Gomo Health, to work with parents who have children diagnosed on the autism spectrum and getting them resources and tools 
and just informing them of when the ASD assessment is going to occur in a well child appointment and what to do with that information. Because that's it's overwhelming, right? It is. I mean, tell you, I'm a, I'm a dad at a five and I have three that had IEPs and one yes. with a 504. So I can tell you it is very overwhelming for my husband and I. And to know the support that you're giving, you yes. know, I say this quite often, you know, my kids, they arrived 14 years ago, except for my oldest son who arrived in 2019, right before the pandemic. And, you know, the support wasn't out there. It just wasn't out there. Nobody ever, besides the social worker, who, by the way, we were very lucky. We had an amazing social worker towards the end of our um, time before we adopted. We never had the support. You know, we never, I mean, I know the insurance that my kids had, but they never called us. They never... They never reached out and said, oh, by the way, you have a child with fetal alcohol syndrome, and these are all your resources. They never did that, you know? And so hearing you say the support that you're giving, as someone who was a foster parent, you know, with a child and children with special needs, that is, I'm telling you, that is critical. It makes my heart smile to know and, and just overflow that. I think what you're doing, you know, Bavini, is I truly believe that you were helping lengthen the time a foster parent stays a foster parent because by the way we have a huge issue with that yes we have have such a burnout issue where the you know people ask me all the time well I don't understand why that child has moved to four five six seven eight homes and I remind them because the majority of the time is because the foster parents do not feel supported right they right. don't, they, they're overwhelmed. They're right. overwhelmed. And, you know, and it's it's so nice to hear that you guys are giving that support. You know, I really want to talk about the number of kids, because that is something that I think is a myth. I mean, we've heard, I mean, let me tell you, for the last, I want to say eight years, I've heard the, I've seen the number 438,000. I mean, the number has not changed. I mean, if you go and listen to anyone who gives a speech, any type of Google, 438,000, it's like, it's like, we're stuck wow. at that number. Right. You know, one child every two minutes. We're stuck. I mean, I've been hearing that for four years. Okay. But I can tell you as, as an organization that provides cases for kids entering the system, mm-hmm. our, I mean, the numbers are just growing. How right. Do you right. feel that we are growing within the foster care system? Unfortunately, Yes. And I don't have the numbers offhand with me for how many kids were in care when we first started this contract back in 2014. Georgia Family 360 is the program that Amerigroup is contracted to manage for the state. And half of those members are kids in foster care. The other half are kids that have been adopted out of foster care, which is great. And a couple of hundred that are justice involved. We've probably increased at least by two with the number of kids in foster care in almost nine years. Now, again, silver lining, because I try to try to have a little gratitude in there somewhere, is that the number of kids that have been adopted has also grown. And the number that have been adopted and chosen to keep Amerigroup as their insurance has grown. So we've been able to continue giving them the same level of benefit as they do, you know, while they're still in the system. And so that support, I mean, I think, you know, you're so on point with the foster parent caregiver support and a caregiver needs to know what to expect when a child comes in their home. 
that's hard to do for a child that you don't even know. It's hard enough to know for our own children what they're going to be like every day, right? Mood changes. But knowing and being educated on what trauma looks like in a child who's 10, 15, 17 years old is really important because then you can combat that with coping skills versus being scared and maybe put off by kind of the aggressiveness that will come. I mean, these kids are moving home to home. They don't trust anybody. They've got attachment issues. They're dealing with their own complex trauma, which has gone on for who knows how many years. Exactly. And then we layer COVID on top, right? So I think and COVID, can, which yeah. with COVID with no, for me, I felt it was COVID with no support. Yes. You know, I mean, I, you know, before we take a break, I, I want to tell the quick story, you know, and everybody knows my stories in open book. I have a son who suffers from reactive attachment disorder. He's bipolar. He has aggressive disorder. He is, you know, I, it breaks my heart, but, you know, he came into the system with bleeding of the brain, shaken baby syndrome, three broken ribs, you know, went through trauma. And in 2020, when COVID hit, we actually had him in a facility to receive help. He was doing great. And he had been there for about three months. And, you know, he had already worked his way up where, you know, his dad and I were coming and taking him to dinner and to lunch. He was seeing his siblings. We we were engulfed in therapy, really. You know, I mean, it was amazing, Bellini. I mean, my baby boy was really, you know, I was seeing light. COVID hit. We got a phone call. We said that, we, that you have six hours to come and get your son. They released my son with no medication, with mm-hmm. no plan, with no therapist, nothing. And all of a sudden we have this boy, this baby to me, even though, you know, he was 13 at the time, you know, I see them and I could just see him and he was just, and we're like reaching out, trying to find everything. And mm-hmm. we failed so many kids during COVID. We yes. just failed so many kids during COVID. Listen up, everybody. It's another amazing conversation. I feel the fact is, is that we are peeling the onion back and, and you know, educating each and every one of you. Some of you have never even said the word foster care. Some of you have never even even thought about the fact that these children are not provided for with so many things that you think that is happening. But you know what? This is how we make change by having conversations. We'll be right back. This episode of Fostering Change is sponsored by Comfort Cases, a national nonprofit that inspires our communities to bring hope and dignity to our youth that are in foster care. For just $10 a month, you can support the Comfort Case mission and help us eliminate trash bags for kids who are entering foster care. For every $10 that you give, Comfort Cases will give a Comfort XL to a child entering the system. Be part of the change. Visit comfortcases.org. You know what? As I said it before, it's nothing nicer than having a great conversation, and especially when you really start to listen to it and you start to get your mind going. And whether you're on your Peloton right now and you're listening to us or maybe in your car or maybe you're actually sitting in front of your computer and you've actually subscribed to our YouTube channel. The thing is that you have to understand 
is that every single child who's in our system, no matter what the number is, you know, I don't care. You come and tell me there's five or come and tell me there's a million. Every single child who's in the foster care system, they do not belong to me. They don't belong to you. They belong to us, to us. And if you invest in them, I promise you this, if you invest in them, you actually will invest in your future, in your future. And Bavini, that's exactly what Amerigroup has done. They have made the decision, and you've been doing this for years now, but you have made the decision, and you as the director of foster care for Amerigroup Georgia, you've made the decision to invest in these kids, you know, and you've done that by the program that you lead, which is the Georgia Families 360 program. And I know we touched base on that in the first half of our show, but I really want to know, you know, I've got somebody who's sitting in Atlanta, for instance, we have big followers in Georgia. We love you, Georgia. You know, I think I've been to Georgia so many times in the last you know, 12 months because of your company. I, you know, I, I love going to this. I feel like it's a second home. But we have so many people in Georgia who are not, you know, they want to do something. They want to do something, but they don't know what to do. They literally, I literally have people who have found our organization, for instance, and they said, you know, I've been sitting at home and I just, I want to do something, but I don't know what to do. I saw an article in the paper about you, or I saw something on the news about your organization. And that's how we have filled up our organization with volunteers. How can people step up and help Amerigroup? Such a great question. And, and I have so many things I could list out here. <laughs> so first, I think is just being aware of what's happening, right? Knowing that there are kids in care, understanding what their needs are. I think the biggest need is foster homes, right? If that's something you are able to open your heart to do, there's such a need for that all across the nation. And if not even just foster homing, even if you could be an emergency placement, right? If you're not prepared to be a full-time foster parent, that would be a huge ask that I would love to, to put out there. I think there's definitely other ways to volunteer and help with CASA, with other needs for advocacy for children. There are tons of organizations that collect clothes and things like that for foster families that can kind of go and shop. So they certainly need volunteers. The food banks need volunteers. For me, I would ask, the more you can be aware of what not only child welfare is, but what mental health is, because trauma is part of that. Um, and just knowing and being aware of it, being able to ask people questions if you're noticing that somebody is behaving off, you know, don't be scared to ask them how they're feeling and what you can do for them. A lot of, and this is not just kids in care, but any person out there who's struggling with depression, anxiety, thoughts of suicide, just having somebody reach out to them could mean the difference between life and death, literally for them. And it doesn't even mean talking about, are you going to hurt yourself? Even though if that's where it's going, you should ask those questions. But it's really just being aware of that. And, and if somebody is off, something is off. Use your gut and say something. I think that could make the biggest difference for anybody. Yeah, I think we as a society, we've come a long way. Don't get me wrong, everybody. You know, I get it. We have come a long way, but we haven't come far enough. And I think that we have to really talk about the fact of, you know, dealing with mental illness and more of us within our society deal with it, especially after COVID, Yes. by the way. I mean, all of a sudden we are now, I mean, it literally, I'm not even kidding. I was flying to see you 
And I'll never forget, I was flying in, I flew into Atlanta airport. And I remember when I flew, when COVID was in effect and how different it was. And then it was like, it was never there. And it was just like, you know, and all of a sudden I kept thinking to myself, because I am somebody who, by the way, I'm very open. I suffer from mental illness. I suffer from depression. I, you know, I love my therapist, Dr. Rich, I know you're listening. And I know, you know, I love my therapist. And, but there are times that, you know, I think that society, we don't talk about it enough. And I think that, you know, those who are walking next to me in the airport, to my point, was also dealing with what I was dealing with, with the anxiety of all of a sudden I'm around all these people. And I think that, you know, people who thought that they had, you know, it all together and, you know, I don't have mental, then all of a sudden we come out of two years of COVID of being isolated and we really realize that, oh, wait a minute, that was trauma. That was, yes. you, and, you know, you, you mentioned yes. it, you know, I mean, that was that was trauma. So for anyone and everybody who is listening and saying, I don't understand trauma. I don't know what you're talking about with trauma. What does trauma mean? We all just went through it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I was reading an article, Rob, the other day about what we're all feeling right now, that feeling that we can't name, you know, that we're kind of lonely, kind of sad, kind of lethargic. It is the impact of COVID on all of us. It's the being at home. It's the loneliness. It's the anxiety of what's out in the news and what's real and what's not real, you know, and, and not to get political, but when the election was happening, the ramp up to that and yeah. information that's flying everywhere. And, you know, what do you trust in, in the midst of being isolated? It's a lot. And for a child in foster care, who's not even in their home, not even surrounded by their loved ones, as abusive as it may have been, that was still their comfort zone. You talk about putting yourself in even in a smaller box than we're already feeling like we're in. Yeah, yeah. I tell people all the time, you know, you think that we went through something for two years. Think about a child in the system because guess what? COVID has always been there for them. You know, it might not have been the germ flying around, but they have always felt isolated. Yes. Alone on an island by themselves dealing with, I mean, seriously, I mean, and just so just think about how you felt. And that is how a child within our system feels every single day. I remember, you know, and you and I both probably remember the fact that when, you know, we woke up and we were like, okay, what's going on? What yeah. do we do? What do we, you know, I think about the fact that every day a child wakes up and thinks, you know, where am I going to go today? Who's going to, you know, you know, who's picking me up today? And what, you know, am I going to see my, my mom or am I, are they going to let me see my, why won't they let me see them? And, and, you know, and you're right about the abuse part, you know, no matter how bad the, I remember when I aged out of the system, you know, I was 18 years old, you know, I was still a senior in high school and I came from very abusive, abusive parents. And, I remember saying to myself, as I stood there in the back of a parking lot, because I didn't know where the hell I was going to go, that I actually wanted to feel the cigarette burn on my leg that my dad put out on me. And even though I knew, even at 18, that was not, the reason is because at least I knew if he did that, he was there. Exactly. He was there. So people have to realize that's the way children we think. 
we think about that. You know, one of the things you you brought up the fact of, you know, being a being a foster parent. And and I truly, you know, I just last night I was interviewing somebody late last night I was interviewing somebody him and his husband in, in LA they they're our foster parents and all of a sudden they were by the way they were emergency parents and they got a three week old and then next thing you know they're getting ready to adopt this beautiful little boy and you talked about you know more kids being adopted the thing that I've seen though Bavini, Bavini across the aisles of through our country is this this reunification has been pushed so much and i do believe in reunification by the way i truly believe in it but what i've also seen is so many of what i call the boomerang kids that 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 the system has pushed so hard to get that kid back but truly didn't really make sure the net was completely sewn together yes and the child just swings back into the system to me i find that just is more traumatic. What do you think about that? What do you, so, what do you think would be better? Not only is that happening when children are going back to their biological homes, it's also happening for children that are getting adopted at times. And I think it goes back to how are we supporting our caregivers? And adopting a child at five years old is not going to look the same when they're 15. Right. And are we, again, preparing caregivers and supporting them along the way and almost maybe mandating that they be a part of some curriculum along the way to keep them supported and informed? That's key. Right. And again, as children are going through their own developmental milestones, as our own biological children do, they're going to be testing boundaries. That's normal adolescent behavior. But when you're in an environment where you've got a parent that could give you back and you know that in the back of your mind, that adds another dimension. I think it goes back to what are we doing to support caregivers? How much are we in reinforcing for them about what does trauma look like across the ages and with developmental milestones? Yeah, you know, I agree with you 100%. I think that it should be a mandatory thing. You know, like I said, when the judge signed the adoption papers for my, our, my, and I say our children, my husband keeps reminding me, they're our children, not your kids. When the judge signed the adoption papers for our children, and I remember we walked out of the courts, we never heard from anybody ever again. And it was like, all of a sudden, you know, we have one son with fetal alcohol syndrome. We have another son who's suffering from reactive attachment disorder. We had no idea what the hell to do. We literally, you know, we just grabbed therapists, you know, and, but it was, I just feel like we, we fail the child by failing the caregiver. I mean, and and truly, yes. we fail the child by failing the caregiver. And you know, as I was saying, I have one son who who really suffers. You know, really, and and I remember the you know because we've now had to get you know the system involved, and they're like, well, you know, you can give him back. And I remember my husband. And I said, what? What? What are you talking about? It's like he's not a piece of clothing. It's like you know, he's not going to Marshalls and return. He's our son, right. our son, love him unconditionally. Right. We just want to get him the help that we know he needs. Yes. And the thing is, we as a society, 
you know, we pump so much money into so many other things, you know, shooting down a balloon, building another missile, but we can't do the one thing that we should be doing. And I know people get tired of me saying this, but Nelson Mandela said it. He said it and he hit it right on. You judge your society by the way they treat their children. Mm. Mm. By the way they treat their children. Mm -hmm. And for us, we could rethink that, my friend. We, we could rethink that. Listen, everybody, it is the, look it up, Georgia's Family 360, Amerigroup. I mean, I'm going to tell you, I love you. You have made my heart smile. Lavini, I have to tell you something. This has been an amazing conversation today. Thank you, Rob. And I agree. I cannot thank you enough. I can't thank you enough for the partnership that we have with Comfort Cases and Amerigroup in Georgia, but I can't thank you enough for opening up your heart because, you know, people don't realize it is it is a hard job you know when you you have the weight of so many kids on your shoulders and you want the best but at the same time my friends you got to listen up we have to do this as a community this yes. isn't a blue thing it's not a red thing this is a community thing yes. and we must come together and realize as i said they don't belong to you. The kids don't belong to me. They belong to us. Listen, this is another amazing episode of Fostering Change. I hope you got as much out of it as I did. And I hope you realize that each and every one of you, you can be a part of the change. Take care. I want to say thank you to each and every one of you for listening or watching the latest episode of Fostering Change. All of us on our team hope that you've learned something new today and have been inspired to be a good human. Now, just a reminder that you can always find Fostering Change on your favorite channels on Google, Spotify, iTunes, YouTube, and others including, of course, comfortcases.org. I want to give a big thank you to all of you for joining us each and every week. And a reminder that if you have a suggestion for a guest, or maybe you might have a question about today's podcast, or are interested in becoming a sponsor of Fostering Change, please don't hesitate to email me personally at fosteringchange@comfortcases.org. Now, that's it for now. Thanks again, and we'll see you next Tuesday. Take care.